I want to just quickly say that um, I'm loving what I'm seeing happening in this congregation. And um, challenges are blessings in disguise. And so the challenge of not having a pastor uh, is a blessing in disguise. Because what's happening is it's causing leaders to step up. It's causing people to come together. It's causing people to have a sense of ownership. And I'm seeing that and I'm loving it. And great job. So uh, the, other, the other blessing for me, I'm not sure if it's a blessing for you, is that over the next six months I'll be preaching more than what I normally do uh, in this congregation. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Oh, yeah. It's a blessing for one person. You know, if one person is blessed, it's worth it. Um, so it's good. So I'll be preaching a little more. Um, that's uh, that's uh, how it's going to roll. Um, so I'm keen for that. Tonight I've got an interesting topic, interesting passage to preach in. Start with a story, true story. About 14 years ago, roughly 14 years ago, I, uh, we got a phone call, my wife and I, from um, my wife's sister, and uh, she said, look, you've got to pray for our daughter, um, six-month-old little girl. They said she's lost all movement below her waist, and we're getting tests. We don't know what's, what's going on. Um, they went on to find that she had a fairly rare kind of cancer. Uh, they thought originally it was a bleeding on her spine, turned out to be quite a large tumour on her sp- the lower spine that was completely blocking, um, uh, you know, um, stopping all movement in her legs below the waist. They went on to find that she had a secondary tumour in her um, chest cavity. She's six months old. And uh, so they began, she, she was uh, put straight into intensive care. And, uh, and I do remember uh, just, just early on in, in her journey going and visiting her and, and just being with my brother-in-law and, and just kind of not really knowing what to say. And obviously we're praying for them. Um, but uh, they began radiotherapy. I'm not sure if that happened after. But they did a, a surgery around her spine. And really there was two obvious significant uh, risks or likelihoods. And the risk was, um, firstly, that the cancer having spread and being in two places, it was uh, aggressive. Um, There was a significant chance that she wouldn't survive at all. Um, But uh, if she did survive, it it seemed almost certain that she she wouldn't regain movement, particularly if it continued, if if it went on. So... She had the surgery, and uh, the surgery was successful, but a week went past, no movement. It's been like more than a week now, no movement at all. And then another week went past. And then through this time, um, uh, her parents and the church around her and the family, the wider family, we began to obviously pray for a miracle. We prayed for a miracle for her survival. And um, we just prayed and prayed and prayed and her parents just pressed in for, for a miracle. And three weeks uh, after the surgery, three weeks of no movement, she, her big toe began to move and she began to regain some movement. And then she began, regained, regained more movement and then she regained more movement and she regained 100% movement 
and has been 100% cured of that cancer, right? And uh, we consider that a miracle. Yeah. And to see her today running around just completely free, uh, you almost just forget about that whole story. Like it's almost just like um, I was just thinking of it, reminded of it, and I just remembered how incredibly um, close it was to her not pulling through that situation. Awesome story. We see it as a miracle of God. And yet, I have prayed for other people in similar circumstances, and I think of one in particular, the first church where I was a pastor, a, a, a young mum with two young daughters, primary school age, cancer, and we prayed and we prayed and they prayed with absolute faith that she would be healed, just an unyielding faith that God would bring a miracle in her life to heal her of that cancer. And she passed away and went to be with the Lord. And so tonight I'm talking about miracles because I'm telling a story that takes us to the question, this issue of miracles, because it's a story about an incredible miracle uh, where uh, in the Old Testament, uh, someone who is dead is raised to life, right? And, and it just brings up all these questions about how miracles happen and when miracles happen and and, and why do some people receive a miracle when, when many don't? And what does that say to us and how do we understand that? And I guess I want to say from the outset is that I feel that uh, one of the things that many people want in this, in this issue is they want a black and white answer. They want it to be simple. They want it to be like one plus one, do this, do that, and this will happen. And I guess the one thing I've got to say is from my understanding Theologically, and my understanding in experience over 16 years of ministry is that doesn't seem to be the case. That there isn't a black and white answer. And th those who want to hold on to that in either direction or understanding is uh, actually problematic. But uh, let's get into this passage, and I hope that it will help us understand not just about miracles, but more importantly, about how we relate to God in times of trouble. Because it doesn't have to be some huge thing, but all of us face difficulties when we're wondering, where do we go here, right? You with me on that? We all face situations where we're like, what do we do? Where do we go? So the question is, where's God in that for us? And, and, and what do we do with that? Uh, we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 17. If you've got it, uh, open it up. Um, that would be great if you've got a Bible handy. 1 Kings 17, 17 to 24. Uh, if you've got it on your phone, on a Bible on your phone, permission to use your phone to read it, as I do. Uh, if the person on your next to you then begins to look at social media, you have to nudge them, say that's not on in a loud voice. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, sometime later, oh, and I'll... I'll I'll tell the preceding story. Here's the passage for today. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to 
remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then, and this is a little strange, then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Then the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life was returned to him. And he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. Then he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. You've got to do a fair bit with this lady for her to actually establish that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is the truth. eh? Glad I'm not having to preach to her tonight. Um, But here we go. Let's uh, let's pray and we'll see what uh, God has to say for us through this passage. Father, I want to pray that you will speak through your word. Thank you that every single part of your word is is useful, is God-inspired, is useful for teaching and for helping us to understand you more and understand your ways more. We pray that you would bring understanding and wisdom uh, to us through your word and it would be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, uh, this series is about the life of Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet, uh, which means he was uh, someone in the Old Testament who was entrusted with a very special role. Um, It's not just that occasionally he had a word, but that God actually spoke to the prophets in the Old Testament to uh, the people of Israel primarily. And often they would bring difficult words, bring words of correction to the people. Very often the prophets were not liked because of that. But Elijah's a prophet. Um, uh, And this series is about him. And I think it's worth us studying this, uh, the life of Elijah, because he's an awesome guy, amazing man, did amazing things. Uh, But I just love his boldness. I love that he was a courageous and bold man. He was a man of incredible faith. And uh, he was a man who believed God could do miracles. And he was courageous in the face of great opposition as well. And so I think that's relevant to us because uh, I want us to grow as a people. I want you guys to grow in boldness and in faith. Uh, I also like the story of Elijah because as we'll see in a few weeks, he was also someone we can identify with in the way that at times he was incredibly bold. And then uh, there's a story later on where he's incredibly bold. And then immediately after God doing an amazing miracle, he becomes incredibly fearful. And he runs away. And so there's this kind of humanness to his story where I think probably we can identify with the fact that sometimes we're bold and we've got faith and sometimes maybe we're not as bold as we should be. So this is a story about four people. Uh, The first is Elijah. And um, as well as being a prophet, he is uh, a significant man. He knows the king of Israel. He hangs out with King Ahab. He's uh, got a uh, like one-on-one connection with the king, goes and speaks to him. And Elijah has said to the king, this is the backstory. he said, uh, basically, it's not going to rain on the land 
unless I say so, right? I've, he said, like, God's given me a power to control the rain, and I'm not going to give the word. Until I give the word, it's not going to rain. And so then he's got to run away and go into hiding. God provides for him, and uh, God then sends him to a town called Zarephath. And this is what Nat preached on two weeks ago. He meets a widow and his son. They're two of the other people in the story, and they're about to starve. And um, they say to him, look, we've got a little bit of flour. We're going to go home and make some bread, and then we're going to die because we're starving. And he says, well, before you do that, uh, I'd like you to make me some bread first. And um, that's a great passage. Uh, Nat got to preach on it. And so they do. And um, basically, he says, well, your flour and this little bit of oil you've got is never going to run dry. It's going to keep being refilled. God's going to do this ongoing miracle and provide for you, which he does. And um, so that's the preceding story. God has just done this amazing miracle in their midst. God has saved them. God has kept them alive. God has protected them. God has done everything they could have asked of him. Um, and, then, and then this happens. Uh, the son of the woman becomes ill and he dies. And uh, so we get to see then what happens. It's, it's kind of strange. God's been providing. He's done a miracle to, to provide for them, but then he becomes ill and he dies. And in verse 18, we see the woman's reaction. She says to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? And so she plays the blame game. And um, it's kind of easy to blame Elijah because often, if we're honest, it's easy for people to blame God. If something's not going well, if something's going well, sometimes it's easy to praise God. And then when things don't go well, it's easy to blame God. I remember when, uh, speaking of having a golfing men's event coming up, I remember being on the golf course one day and uh, in very childish ways and immature faith, I just was not hitting the ball well and I just began to blame God for that. I was like, God, this is just so unfair that I cannot play golf really, really well. I'm just angry with you, God, that I can't hit the ball straight, right? Now, I'm sure you're not as immature as I was at that time, but uh, I won't get you to raise your hands there's probably been a time, maybe in the not-too-distant past, where you've been angry at God and blamed Him because of something that's happened in your life. We wouldn't want to probably admit that, but it's possibly true. That stuff, uh, when stuff's going well, we're like, yes, Lord, praising you, my life's going well. And when things are going bad, it's a little harder to praise God. And sometimes we want to blame God or blame God's representative. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about around miracles is one of the stories that I've seen that's happened repeatedly is that when people have been suffering with something like cancer, uh, I have seen on repeated occasions where people have wanted to play the blame game and have done things like writing letters to the person who's sick and suffering and saying, you must not have enough faith. Or, you must have sin in your life. 
And that is why you are suffering. If you repent and if you have greater faith, you will be healed. And I have a pretty big problem with that because I think it's really dangerous and I think it's really uh, theologically incorrect and uh, it's basically you just take a person who's already suffering and cause them to suffer more. Uh, it comes from a basis, a theological belief, uh, that that's, it's this wrestle with this question. Uh, it's kind of what we call the now but not yet kingdom. Okay? Have you ever heard that? Some of you have, some of you have. The now but not yet kingdom. When Jesus died on the cross, he did something powerful. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore sin and shame. Um, and there's scriptures that refer to also bringing healing through the cross, that he actually bore suffering and that, that, that there's healing in the name of Jesus. We believe that to, to be true. And we live in the time when Pentecost has poured out the Holy Spirit. And so uh, there's miracles of healing and there's miracles of of um, this spiritual gift of miracles, a spiritual gift of those who can bring healing. We live in the, in, the, in, the, in the light of the cross and the resurrection. And so there's something there that, that means we can pray for healing and miracles in Jesus' name. And we should. Uh, so part of the kingdom, part of the victory of the cross is now. Okay, We have relationship with God. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We live in that victory. And, and, and the, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, you should pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should pray for that. So there is part of the kingdom is now. But part of the kingdom is also not yet. 1 Corinthians uh, says, uh, now we see only as a reflection, as in a mirror, or now we see through a mirror darkly, but then we shall see face to face, right? So we've got relationship with God now, but we don't see God face to face like we will in heaven. It's now, but it's not yet. Uh, we see God and have relationship with him now in a way we didn't before we were a Christian, but it's not what it will be. What it will be will be face to face goes on to say, now we know in part, i.e. now we know God in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. God knows us fully, and we know God in part, but we don't know God fully, but then we will know God fully. goes on to say, uh, in another part of Two, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it uh, goes on to say, but we have this treasure, so our salvation, the hope we have, the, the life we have, the new life, we have this treasure in jars of clay, i.e. our bodies, to show that the all, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. goes on to say, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. So what it's saying is, outwardly, uh, you know, like age of 25 is apparently the peak of, you know, like physical perfection. Who here is 25? There we go. Just look around you at these people. 25 is like you're building up, you're growing, everything's... And 25, and after that, you just begin to slowly... 
you just begin to slowly fall off the cliff. Okay? It's a slow process. But as you hit the 40s, the pace begins to quicken. Okay? I'm sensing it. I'm feeling it. I'm seeing it when I look in the mirror in a whole number of ways. The now but not yet kingdom. Okay? Um, I've lost my thought, train of thought here. Um, so the question is, how much is now and how much is not yet? All right? When you read different people writing about sickness and healing ministry, they will be having a position somewhere in, in the saying, well, it's, it's almost all now, or some are going to press right to say, it's all now. There shouldn't be any sickness. Everyone should, should just live, I don't know, I don't understand where death fits into their theology, but they kind of have this, everyone should just be well, and every, everything, every sickness should just be healed. Some would say, it's already been healed, completely, so just claim it. And then others would say, well, it's all, it's all, you know, it's all not yet, like pretty much we just live our lives we just should just accept sickness. We shouldn't really even worry about praying for it. We should just accept it because one day we're going to go to heaven and then all will be well. And, and kind of what I'm suggest, what I, my theological understanding is that somewhere we've got to sit in this middle space where it's not black and white, where we say it's not all future because we are told to pray for miracles. We are told it's a gift. We're told that God can heal. We give an example after example after example. But at the same time, while we press in for that, we also need to sit with the understanding that it's not all now. And that we live in a broken, sin-affected world where, when I did my last check, uh, everyone dies. And I have looked at the history of all those who believed in the theology that said we should, it's kind of all now and, and everyone should be well all the time. And all of those through the 1800s, well, and basically what I'm saying is they all died. A hundred percent of them. And, all, and as did everyone else. Um, so what I'm kind of saying here, coming back to the blame game, is... We have to be very careful not to play the blame game when we're praying for people for healing. That is so unhelpful. And, and equally, while bl don't blame others, equally don't bl blame yourself. Uh, you know, well, if I just prayed differently, if I just prayed a little longer or a little louder or a little more on my knees or prostate, if, if I got the formula right, it, it must have been me. You know, if it wasn't them, it, it, it must be me because it just wouldn't ever be that God just chose not to heal that person. Um, it's the blame game. And so this woman here, coming back to the passage, she plays the blame game. She says, Elijah, um, you know, must be you. What have you, what have you, you got against me? Uh, have you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? No, he hasn't. Uh, but I love Elijah's reaction here. Uh, his reaction here is not to enter into a theological discussion with her. Sometimes when people take issue with you 
or issue with God, sometimes it is the right thing to discuss with them, to listen to them. And, uh, but other times, it's actually never, not even going to be helpful. Sometimes the best things you can do is to take action rather than use words. And so the only words he says in response to her accusation are these. Give me your son. She throws out a big uh, accusation. His response, give me your son. Give me your son. That's all he says. He doesn't argue. Uh, He doesn't argue the point. Instead, he just says, give me your son. And there's something very powerful in that. Something I think all Christians actually should embrace out of those four words. And that I think we should be people who, who are not moving away from pain, moving away from trouble, but actually moving towards suffering, moving towards brokenness, and moving towards it with the love and the power of Jesus. We should be people who are drawn to uh, people who are struggling and people who are suffering. We should be drawn to situations that are difficult. Uh, just kind of this passage reminds me of the Good Samaritan. We know that story. Many of you will know that story. There's the guy, he's been beaten up, he's been left for dead. And one religious guy comes past and he just keeps walking. Another guy comes past, he just keeps walking. And then Jesus says, a Samaritan. And he uses the example of people who the Israelites uh, hated and thought were terrible people. It's a Samaritan who comes along. And what does he do? He picks the guy up. He picks the guy up. He goes to the suffering. He goes to where the pain is and he embraces that person and he cares for that person. He doesn't just walk on by. He cares. Actions speak louder than words. Christians should be drawn towards brokenness, should be drawn towards those who are struggling, should be drawn towards those who are hurting and we should bring the love and the grace of God. And it must also uh, look very practical. Our faith should look practical. Um, It should affect how we're using our time, our talents and our treasure. And that's what that story of the Good Samaritan is all about. Um, So we've got to use these things to bring the love of God to the world. And uh, just as a little aside on this, it's actually really exciting for me. One of the things that's happening in this church at the moment across our three congregations, we've got two people from Allgate Morning Service, one person, hold on, I want to get this right, and one from uh, Verdun congregation who recently have or are just about to go to developing countries to use their medical skills to treat and serve people who otherwise couldn't receive treatment. It's a great example of it. They've, they've, they've recognized that there's suffering and there's uh, people who are broken and hurting in developing nations that they've got skills here, so they have been drawn to those countries. They've said, I'm going to use my money to get there and then I'm going to volunteer when I'm there and I'm going to serve people I don't even know in a country I don't even know, people who most of the world uh, don't really care about, people that never make the news, people that, you know, in the scheme of, of things have very little value in our world, but they're saying, no, these people matter. I'm going to go there, I'm going to serve, I'm going to give my time, I'm going to use my money to love these people with the love of Jesus. Elijah says, give me your son. He takes him from her arms. He carries him up to the upper room where he's staying. Uh, So the first thing he does, which I love, is he takes action rather than speaking words. Words are great, 
I use words, actions, probably even more powerful. Second, uh, he doesn't pretend to have the answers, but instead takes his confusion to God. This is a bit of an interesting verse here. He cries out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Now, to me, this seems like a very untheological prayer. Like, it seems like maybe the prayer he shouldn't pray to God. Like, I'm like, Elijah, seriously, shouldn't say that to God. Uh, It's not really very appropriate to, to pray that prayer. But, There's something about this which is cool. He's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. And so he takes that to God. And so I would say out of this, what do I draw out of this for you guys? You're confused? Take your confusion to God. God's big enough to handle confusion. He's big enough to handle a tough question. He's big enough to handle a theologically incorrect question. I don't think he minds. He would much rather we take it to him than we sit there on our own mulling about stuff or getting angry or despairing or whatever. God loves it when we go to him in prayer, even when we go to him with a question that's probably not theologically correct. I give you permission, guys, and encourage you to take stuff to God in prayer. Take questions that you have that you don't know the answers to. Take questions that you think, this probably isn't how God works, but this is what I'm thinking. I believe God loves it when we go to him uh, in situations of difficulty. And here he is with this young guy. He's, God's done a miracle and now this guy's died and there he is. He's going, God, what's going on here? I don't even understand this. That's the second point. Third point is this. Uh, he cries out to God. Uh, and it's kind of bizarre and uh, I'm not suggesting we do this but he lies on the (laughs) dead guy and uh, he does this three times and this is not a formula we should necessarily follow and uh, and he cries out he cries out and it says in verse 22 these words awesome words the Lord Let's say this together. Verse 22, you can see it there. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. He heard his cry. And I've got no doubt that Elijah, it says a cry, he cried out. It's it's not like, um, we don't even know the exact words he said in his cry, or whether it was just like literally just a bellow, but he just cries out to God. It's It's not like this polite, neat, dear Lord. I do pray that you will bring this young man back to life. It's a cry. It's a cry from his heart. It's just like, it's just like, he's just pouring it out. And so this is where I want to join with with the words of what Christy was saying, is that we absolutely in Western nations, we get so comfortable and we get so self-reliant. And I've got to say, this is a journey, and I'm excited to pray this night, because this is a journey that God continues to have me on as a, as a pastor and as a Christian. Because like, here's the God of the universe, and, um, and then here's me. And crazily enough, my natural default mechanism is to just think I can solve problems. 
And so I go about it and I, I, I try to solve a problem. And when I get to the end of the line, then I think, oh, yeah, God of the universe. Forgot about you, God. I thought I'd solve it. And you know what? I don't know if I've shared this with you guys, but even in the process we've been through, as a search team looking for a pastor, and we went through a whole process and we approached someone who then said no, and I'm actually really pleased. I'm di- at one level, I'm disappointed, but at another level, I'm actually pleased because I really feel that God's had something to say to me and to us in this, which is depend on me completely. Like I felt like in my heart, if I'm honest, that process was about here's the steps, let's go through the steps. Yes, we prayed at every meeting, but I don't think we cried out to God. And I think when we cry out to God, God is going to bring the right person into our midst to lead us forward. And that will be God's plan. And so I'm just excited to challenge you guys tonight to cry out to God, to cry out to God. There's a word that has been lost from Western Christianity, and it's the word zeal. Zeal. Zeal is great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. And I'm not sure how often in the church, in our comfortable kind of Western church, uh, I see great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. And yet every time I see it, I just, I just love it, just love to see it. And so God, I believe, in this passage, uh, if there's one thing I want you to take out of it, it is that we should cry out to God with the stuff that, that we have, the needs that we have, the longing that we have, the brokenness that we see. We should take it to God and cry out to Him. Let me finish by a passage that Jesus gave, which is, again, a really strange passage, but I know why Jesus gave it, because he wanted us to cry out. It says this, Then Jesus uh, told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town, interestingly, Elijah's story is about a widow. Jesus' parable is about a widow. Interestingly, there was a, in this town, there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to him, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she um, won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? So guys, we should be a people who cry out to God. Simple as that. We should be a people who cry out to God, who bring our confusion to God, who bring the cry of our heart to God, who people who seek out miracles, who pray for them, who believe God can do great things in our time, uh, in our city, in our nation, in the situation we face in Australia, which is increasingly hostile to Christianity. And we know that and we see that. And guess what? God can still do miracles. 
God can still do awesome things. You've never seen someone come to faith. God can bring people to faith in our time and in our nation. Good Friday service. Good Friday service. Normally like a simple service of reflection. We had several people make a first-time commitment of faith in Jesus last Friday. In a Good Friday service. How awesome is that? So, cry out to God. Cry out to God. I'm going to give a chance now. We've had people that come up every week and say, hey, you want to come and pray for us? Come down the front. We'll pray for you. Do the band want to jump up? And I think we're going to have a couple of songs. And so during this time, um, I'm kind of, I'm not like an altar call kind of guy, right? Like some people do an altar call and it's like really powerful and it moves everyone. And I'm not that kind of guy. So this is what I'll simply say, very pragmatic. If you would like to come and cry to God, you can do that where you're sitting, but there is something powerful about coming forward. It's just a sign of like um, humbling yourself before God. Uh, so there's a space here, right here. If you want to come and just, just cry out to God, I'm not talking about like crying out loudly. You can do that if you want, but just crying out in your heart to God. Come forward and just be on your knees during worship and just cry, whatever it is. You might want to cry out for a friend who's struggling. You might want to cry out for a family member. You might have a situation, and now that I'm speaking, you go, you know what, I have not even prayed about that. If that is the case, don't leave tonight without praying for that. Pray for, for that person. Pray for that person. Or pray for a situation in your own life. If you would like someone to pray for you, then kind of from this half onwards, come and just kneel here, and one of the prayer team will pray for you, or just go and approach them where they are, okay? Um, not a whole lot of room, but we might move just a couple of chairs to do that. So let's stand on our feet. As I said, I'm not like super great at like calling people to come forward. But if you want to pray, come and pray with someone or just pray to God. We'd love to pray with you. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.